When you have to make a change because of whatever reason, and it means that you can no longer consume the things that you associate with those happy feelings, what do you do? You're stinking hard. Yeah. I can say now in retrospect from my journey, um, I did not realize the emotional and social pressure to conform to a diet that didn't fit me. I didn't realize that that was really the hardest part. Welcome to The Jealous Vegan, a podcast about healthy eating, habit change, and the hurdles we all need help overcoming. I'm Jennifer Hunley, co-founder of The Jealous Vegan, also known as The Voice. Today we are joined by April Cunningham, co-founder of The Jealous Vegan, health and life coach, also known as The Influencer. Lisa Carter, founder of Kinetic Fitness, also known as The Balancer. What do you do when your body demands something different than those in your family or your community? How do you remain part of the clan while making drastically divergent choices from the people in your circle? Today, we're discussing the war between biology and culture. A number of reasons why someone might be making a different choice than their family and friends. Maybe they have fitness goals or food allergies, some intolerance to some dietary item, a taste preference, maybe just personal upbringing. I mean, just because we look the same or live in the same zip code doesn't mean we were raised with the same palate. For those who haven't heard our personal stories in previous episodes, maybe we should give a quick background on why we started to take a hard look at our food choices and their impact on our health. April, you want to kick us off? Um, mine is a, I feel what I feel is a long story tale, but essentially uh, more than a decade worth of a journey from um, a regular American soul food diet um, to a plant-based uh, diet where there's pretty much no dairy. I have a biological intolerance to meat generally speaking, aside from fish. Um, I've talked about that quite a bit on our podcast. Uh, fish is the only thing, and fish specifically that swims, not crawls. Mm -hmm. um, and for our audience benefit, that means that shellfish um, interact in a negative way with my biology as well. So coming to that was uh, quite a challenge. The social factors of giving up my grandmother's mac and cheese and her cornbread and uh, I mean, I used to eat chitlins, I'm not going to lie, and uh, I don't miss them. <laughs> but it was a switch, um, and it was something that I had to make a departure from in terms of what my family and what my social environment uh, sponsored, really, in terms of diet. I had to make a, 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 um, a conscious choice to change based on my biology and what worked best for me. Okay. What about you, Lisa? So mine, uh, I had a number of factors that caused me to have a diet change. Biggest one uh, was realizing that I had a dairy allergy. And I talk about some of that in previous episode. Mm -hmm. um, just being sick all the time, not being able to pinpoint exactly what it was, taking dairy out of my diet, realizing, oh, the dairy is it. Um, and then I had kind of a life event that caused me to 
get into the fitness industry, actually. Um, and so just realizing the importance of how what you eat really impacts your health and wanting to be healthier and encourage other people to be healthier. Um, that's what set me on this whole plant-based, partially plant-based, trying to be plant-based, sometimes plant-based journey. <laughs> Plant-adjacent. <laughs> you know. You know. Yeah. Um, that I'm still on. And still trying to figure out, but I would say that those two things were the major catalysts for my wanting to change. Yeah, for me, I think it was primarily um, trying to show my friend April up as being lacking, as, as being lacking in creativity, um, especially when it comes to traveling. So I think we've talked about it, and I, I'm sure I wrote about it. Just this, you know, 14 day. I, I was traveling for about 10 out of 14 days, and I wanted to show her that. It really wasn't that hard to eat plant-based with uh, limited fish um, as far as a meat product is concerned. And, you know, that it's something you could do even when you're outside of your home, you know, home restaurant area. But um, interestingly, as I went through that process, I realized how much better I was sleeping, how much better I felt not eating dairy. And then on the day that I had a homemade biscuit and fish tacos at a restaurant, and I went back to the hotel and fell asleep, like into a coma almost. Um, then as we were talking later that night, April was like, hey, uh, do you think you could have a gluten allergy? And I went back and looked at the paperwork from my doctor, which uh, they had done all of the allergy testing, but I just ignored it and found out, oh yeah, I am as allergic to gluten as I am to dairy. And so and that kind of started me on my, um, I, I guess, quest to find food that would work for my biology, independent of what I was accustomed to or what other people were eating. Mm -hmm. So your competitive nature then basically put you on a journey. I always win. That rebooted you. But did you? Though? But did you? Though? I did win. I won the challenge. I still feel like I haven't gotten a prize. How did you win? <laughs> because the, the, the point was... I would have an 80% success rate that out of 10 of the four, those 10 days, and although I actually did it the entire 14 days, I would eat only what you eat and I would be okay. It wouldn't be a big deal. And did you? you took, yes. I remember you taking pictures of your food. Yes. And the, the original challenge, I don't think you're telling this story right, so I'm, we're going to slow it down just a second. <laughs> <laughs> because says everyone who ever loses. The story wait, was wait. the story was you didn't think it was the as Mandarin difficult count. as I said it was. <laughs> right. right, it's not difficult. It's not hard. You're so just lazy is... or lacking well, creativity. I, I, right. So what happened? Which was is funny, but I'll let you finish. Go ahead. Okay. So what happened was we were pretty new friends. Actually, we hadn't known each other that long, but I had I was doing this like marathon work travel thing and incorporating two visits to some personal friends kind of on the weekends in between. And so, you know, I was like on day two or three and you were like, oh, I hate business travel. Like it was such an inconvenience. And I'm thinking I get to go somewhere on somebody else's dime and get the points so that I can use them for something else later. This is awesome. What are you talking about? And so that was what started the whole idea of, you know, oh, I can never find anything to eat, especially in the airports. It's just so challenging. And I was like, it can't, it can't be that difficult. What are you talking about? And now, do you think it's that difficult to navigate a houseful lifestyle? So I did acquiesce to the fact that it does require a lot more effort. You might 
I mean, in some smaller airports, you could absolutely be eating some nuts and drinking water and, you know, that might be your only options and some potato chips, maybe. Even um, in larger airports, we were just coming um, through Atlanta. In, no, right? it was no, Miami. Miami. <clears throat> Miami's airport. And we were whatever terminal that is. They need to take that <laughs> terminal down because there was nothing. There was nothing. Potato chips. There was like a little Pizza Hut stand, maybe. And even the pizzas were like microwaved and it was like next to a beer thing. There was what we need to write down what terminal that was because that terminal. And what was telling, too, just to piggyback on that, was even the fruit had plastic wrap on it, Mm -hmm. which tells you something, right? Like, why does the fruit need to have plastic wrap? How Mm -hmm. old is it? Where does it come from? Yeah. So. It could be a food wasteland. Yeah. Yes. Challenge. Well, between, I think I was in New Mexico. I was in Albuquerque, Santa Fe. Then like Huntsville, Alabama. I did pretty well. And then Memphis. I did pretty well. So to confirm, was it difficult or wasn't it? Oh, and Phoenix. I was in Phoenix too. It, I mean, it had its challenges, but I don't. I wouldn't say that <laughs> it was like difficult. She's, she's not trying to give the difficult word, but she challenge and difficult. I mean, uh. Let me say this: I I don't feel differently about travel as a result. I don't hate business travel, or do I detest even? Oh, so I will say this: when you get on airplanes, most of the time, none of the options are both vegan and gluten free. Again, mm-hmm. mad at the menu. So the challenge for me is just making sure that I'm prepared ahead of time. You keep saying challenge, and I think you're just avoiding the word difficult. And as a follow-on, we talked about it at the previous men- uh, previous episode, mad at the menu. Is it difficult to dine out when you're having da- when you have a dairy allergy and a gluten intolerance? Sometimes, yeah. Well, you know what? And, and sometimes, <laughs> but listen, because. I don't know if you remember this Sunday that we went to, to brunch with your mom, or I guess it was really lunch. Mm-hmm. And you were like, oh, there's nothing for you to eat here. And it was like such a novelty for you. Like, oh, I never realized but how I realized hard it must how be. difficult it is. And gluten, yeah, but that I, was like, I absolutely believe gluten is harder than dairy yeah. in, many, in many areas. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're off topic. We but. are. We're off road right now, but <laughs> I just wanted to confirm that I won. Glad <laughs> I have some mud flaps on my vehicle here. <laughs> I um, just want to say for the record. Anybody, I want you guys to know that she says sometimes. I'm gonna roll the tape <laughs> back to episode <laughs> Mad at the Menu. <laughs> it's like every single time. See if you guys come back to sometimes. We'll take feedback. You know, Leave it in the comment section. I need you to be Switzerland here, okay? Can't take sides. Can't take sides. So, the whole reason that we're talking about this is that, you know, we all have. Um, Really, I think, like people talk about muscle memory, I think that there's like a taste bud memory. Things that you recall from either your childhood or family gatherings or events or places you've been or restaurants you'd like. And it, as we've talked about recently, April, it really wasn't about the food, it was about all of the connections associated with that day. But we, we read into it that it was the food that caused this great memory um, in our brains. And so, when you have to make a change because of whatever reason, and it means that you can no longer consume the things that you associate with those happy feelings, what do you do? It's stinking hard. Yeah. First of all, it's, I, for me, 
I can say now in retrospect from my journey, um, I did not realize the emotional and social pressure to conform to a diet that didn't fit me. I didn't realize that that was really the hardest part. Yes, there's like giving up uh, my grandmother's mac and cheese, right? Which is stinking awesome. Um, and other things that she made, ribs and things that there was like, I mean, my grandmother, to you, sorry to excuse this, but she slays in the kitchen. Like, I yeah. mean, there's no, no doubt about that. No one would dispute that. However, um, there's a nostalgia to it. Um, and that was hard. It, it was. It's also hard. I have felt to replicate that savory sense of mm-hmm. a mac and cheese or a good quality Hagen Dazs ice cream. I'm just gonna throw that out there because that was my favorite. <gasps> but a good quality creamy ice cream, a butter pecan ice ice cream, like it can be done. I haven't had a good butter pecan just for the audience benefit, but I have had a good coconut base. Mm-hmm. Um, nope. No. Yeah, I'm sorry. I think we skipped over you, Lisa. Um, oh no, no, you explained that it was it was dairy allergies and feeling bad all the time. But yeah. I remember there are some real pitfalls for you when it comes to to dairy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I have some serious issues with dairy. I was just saying nope to the fact that I tried some coconut, coconut based ice cream. No, not, not ice cream. But you're also talking to someone like to bring. Um, happy that you brought up that point. I this my journey started from a dairy allergy which I thought I had mold, allergies, all sorts of allergies that, you know, seasonal allergies got really bad in the summer. Seems pretty standard until I realized that I was eating pints of ice cream in the summer, literally pints. Um, And so that contributes to it. So as an ice cream connoisseur, (laughs) let me tell you. Aficionado. uh, Let me tell you, that soy ice cream, that coconut ice cream, it's just nope. It doesn't do that, right? I mean, just recently we were um, with uh, uh, with someone we're collaborating with for a menu, uh, Mm -hmm. for a tasting menu for our TJV audience. So stay tuned, audience, because we have some good stuff cooking for you. We're um, (laughs) literally cooking. Literally cooking. And we had that mac and cheese, right? And he made a mac and cheese for us. Um, We just go ahead and call him out news to DC. Um, But he made a mac and cheese for us that was stinking awesome. It was so good. No dairy in it whatsoever. Lisa ate it for breakfast the next day. (laughs) It was so good. And let me tell you, I was the biggest hater. I was like, nobody makes a non-dairy mac and cheese. Just give it up. Okay. Turn in the towel. So good. It was amazing. But those kinds of things, that had to take conscious effort on our part Mm -hmm. and his part Mm -hmm. to pull together and try to figure out what would work best. So all that to say... Um, it takes conscious effort. It takes awareness, to Lisa's point, that um, you you have, you have to try and keep trying and recognize that part of the shift is not just about the food. It's also about the nostalgia and the, 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 the savory sense you're trying to replace. Mm-hmm. Um, and some things with plant-based you cannot replace. I mean, I've said it many times in a previous episode, bacon is just not replaceable. <sighs> it's it's no. just not. Just don't. Yeah, don't so, even bother. And, you know, the other thing that I think is interesting is there is the nostalgic component, but also there is, uh, we talk about this, you guys talk about this in another episode too. Um, Oh, it's mad about the menu. Um, But the kind of embarrassment or shame that comes with having dietary restrictions, which, Mm -hmm. you know, we shouldn't have. If anybody had any sort of... I'm not going to call a dietary restriction a handicap or disablement, but 
it's different than what other people have, right? Yeah. But if you if if anybody had any sort of other thing that needed that we needed to, you know, account for, you wouldn't have that shame associated with it. But for some reason, like when you're dieting out, not just the nostalgic part of it, but when you tell people that you're vegan or you're plant-based or you have this type of allergy, first thing people give you is pity, which I personally don't like because like, oh, you poor like, oh, thing. Yeah. Uh, I saw something on like Instagram the other day and it talked about when um when you tell people that uh you've decided to go plant-based and they're like you don't know what you're missing like yeah no the last 30 years of my life I know what I'm missing <laughs> like I've had it before <laughs> conscious decision um I don't like it when people you know that sympathy of it it's a conscious decision and and why are you sad that I am choosing to feel better and to like eat based on what I need and what makes me feel good and why do now I feel like oh this does this is not cool um so there is a social component to it that's kind of shameful or we feel self-conscious about it or we feel embarrassed by needing to be different or eating something different that I don't think should be there in terms of diet yeah. Mm-hmm. I felt it on both sides. Food shaming is real. And, I, and, mm-hmm. and you can feel it on both sides. Like sometimes the word, the reason that vegan is often um, difficult, it's it's loaded now because to say you're vegan, it used to be vegans had pitchforks and they like, you know, they, they you know, they're the tree huggers who are going to uh, nail all the meat save eaters to the, the wall planet. because you need to save the planet and also it's better for you. And, you know, it, it, it's a maniacal sense that, mm-hmm. that vegans are maniacal. Um, not true. Um, not always true. There are some, right? Um, but I felt it on the other side going to some place where I'm, I normally go, my social circle, and I can't eat the mac and cheese. And someone's like, what? You're not going to eat my mac and cheese? Do you know how special it is? What do you mean you can't? Right. Um, I remember the holistic doctor put me on a cleansing diet, and it was an extended period because we were trying to figure out what was wrong with my biology. Why was my digestive system rioting? And I remember going to same kind of gatherings, and somebody's like, "You're always detoxing." <laughs> and I'm thinking, isn't it strange how people feel like they have the right to weigh in on what you eat and don't eat? Yeah. Like, like, like they live with your body. No. Or as if they have any need to have an opinion. I don't need to have an opinion about what you eat. Not really, no. Why do you need to have an opinion about what I eat? Unless you feel threatened. Well, and I think that that's probably the issue, is that anytime someone creates a change within a group, um, it it does, it causes the other members members to say, wait, this is going to adjust the dynamic between us or where we can go or what we can eat. And I don't like that. Um, I felt it very seriously when I first was plant-based, um, I guess in the spring, summer of 2017. You know, I had a group of friends that I had dined with very regularly who, I mean, it, it was so strange to me how the discourse at the table was, well, I feel like, you know, Protein and vegetables is just so much better for you. Like, why wouldn't you just keep doing that? Um, and so it was, it was almost like they couldn't conceive that I would, I, would, I would change what I'm doing. I'm not asking them to change what they're doing. But for whatever reason, people feel like they are, they, like, it, like that, that whatever change you make, it, it makes them question either 
what they're doing or they feel like there's some judgment against them. And that's not really what's happening at all. I totally agree with that. I think that when people start to make changes, um, it does force other people to kind of look at their decisions too. And I think sometimes it highlights things that maybe they already knew they could be doing differently or they shouldn't be doing or, but now that you're making this change, it's like, it's something that they have created in their mind that, Mm -hmm. well, if you're doing it, I should do it too, even though I never said that. But usually it, it surfaces something that's already happening in the back of their own brain. And then, I mean, most people, right? They never address that. Like, I'm feeling threatened by your decision because this is what's happening inside of me. People always turn it outward, right? So now Mm -hmm. it's like, why are you trying to do this thing? Um, Which is really unfortunate because it does put the person on the receiving end of that um, in a very uncomfortable place. Right. You know, it's like I'm making a decision. And and a place of shame. Yeah, and it's okay. And I mean, we we get that there are behaviors and there are there are um, characteristics that are socially reinforcing, right? Racism is actually socially reinforcing, right? And uh, the environment, kids are not raised with racism; they are taught that, and then their environment reinforces Reinforces it, it, right, and makes it air quote true. And we often don't think of food that way or our our culture that way, but. This highlights, this conversation is highlighting, and it's why the Jealous Vegan is here, is to highlight that food, our thoughts around food and diet, are also culturally and socially reinforcing, and mm-hmm. they need not be. It takes people who, to say, I, need, I can step outside of this box, this accepted box, and still be a part of the group. And the group can say, okay, you don't subscribe to this piece of what our culture is, and you can still be a part of the group um, and right. on both sides. And that, that, that's where the dialogue has to happen in order for there to still be um, an opportunity of a sense of belonging on both sides. I would imagine that it's similar to a non-drinker hanging out with drinkers or a non-smoker hanging out with smokers. Um, that, that, that's just a very difficult dynamic to um, navigate. And it, I don't know why it should be, but it is. And it's like the thought of my abstinence is not in any way a reflection of judgment, you know. Like On your just, consumption. Yeah, just because I'm not doing it doesn't mean that I'm feeling some type of way about you doing it. But that's how people perceive it. Yeah. yeah. And I also think, going back to what you were saying about you're not going to eat my mac and cheese because it's really, really special, is that food is love. So if a family member especially or a close friend you know, slaves all day in the kitchen to create this meal, and then you come and you pick around what they've made, I think that people take that very personally. Um, and that's part of the, the biology versus culture war that's probably happening for many people. And they end up having to give in to their culture as opposed to staying firm for their biology. I think that food has a very cultural dynamic to it. I mean, um, I, I notice this when I travel, but it, it's true, like with different cultures, the way they eat their food, you know, some they sit on the floor, some they eat with their hands. There is this very togetherness that comes with food and you do end up dining with people that you love and eating food that you like. And there are these memories, these great memories associated with this round table of food and wine and that kind of thing. And so when you feel like maybe you can't be a part 
of a particular thing because now that food you don't eat um, or this thing you don't do, um, it does, you do feel ostracized and nobody ever wants to be ostracized. And so I know for myself, I find myself caving and maybe eating things that I know that I shouldn't or maybe that I don't even want for the sake of like just wanting to be a part of the group. Um, But that's not really the right mentality. Really, I should be a part of the group. Regardless of if food is not the yeah. thing that should divide you. Yeah. It's one of the chief things that uh, I'll say this briefly is that um, in my health coaching practice, um, it's never about the food. Or I should say the food is the small component of shifting a habit. Um, mm-hmm. People can eat a Okay, I need to eat a salad. Cool, I can eat a salad. If the salad is pleasurable and the salad tastes good and the salad doesn't make me stand out, and I'm satisfied when I eat the salad, cool, I'll eat the salad all day. But if any of those things are missing and belonging is a strong one, any of those things are missing, I'm gonna have the, I'm gonna eat the salad until I'm with my kids and then I'm gonna eat the steak. (laughs) Or the chicken finger. And there's the sabotage right there, right? Um, And it's it's so interesting how compelling um, and how, how, the, the food argument is not just about the food. No. Mm-hmm. So we spend a lot of time at the Dallas Vegan talking about habit change, my favorite thing. And we all know how easy that can be. <laughs> Simple. Yeah. Walk in the back. Right. But seriously, what were the most difficult aspects of making the changes that your body demanded? I was eating a pint of ice cream a day. And loving it, loving it, every second of it. Um, So I feel like I have these really strong cravings for things. And I feel like feeling like I was denying myself things that I really wanted um, was hard for me. But then I also realized, I mean, there's a whole nother component there because realizing that I'm not actually denying myself this thing that I really want, but I want this thing because I feel a different kind of way. The food is more emotional than the food part of it. And then dealing with, sometimes you don't want to deal with some stuff you got going on in there, but separating the components. (laughs) You mean inside your brain? Just, yeah, emotions (laughs) and like all of that stuff, you know, realizing that why am I eating a pint of ice cream a day? Like, why is that a thing? Um, And then addressing what that was, and that was very uncomfortable for me. So for me, it was kind of less about the food and more about like rummaging through my dirty laundry, my emotional mm. dirty laundry. Um, that was really hard for me. Um, and then there are still things now that I, I crave, but um, I think it's that those two things, like dealing with emotional stuff and feeling like you're denying yourself. I hate to feel denied. Yeah. Oh, it's hard. Um, one thing I... Yeah, I, I'm a broken record. I say that deprivation breeds a desire, just breeds desire for the forbidden. Yep. And I think that was one of the hardest things for me, giving up things that I had to give up. My biology said, my digestive system, I had hemorrhoids at 27, first colonoscopy at 27. Um, my husband at the time could eat whatever he wanted, and I would be trying to pick through, you know, just I could eat crab. Can I eat crab? But does it have dairy? Does it, and the eggs are fine, butter's fine, no cream. Okay. Um, you know, and, and so it bred de- deprivation for me. And it, the hardest part was saying, 
And that just made me want it more. So when the holistic doctor put me on a vegan diet, take all these things out of your diet, make it organic, all natural. I didn't have any trouble with the organic, all natural. Take it out of my diet and I'm making pork chops. I'm in the kitchen making pork chops for uh, my husband at the time. And I'm trying to figure out, well, what am I going to eat then? Because those pork chops, I just made those with love. (laughs) I know they're boss. (laughs) Um, and yeah, of course I'd eat pork chops because, and also it was easy. It, it was it was a lot of work, especially when I was cooking for two, and and one of us was a carnivore, and I'm trying to be the vegetarian. Um, yeah. So, we recently had a conversation about natural versus relaxed hair, um, and that when you are accustomed to having straight hair, especially if it's relaxed, you just know what to do with it, and then when you try to transition to having natural hair and letting your curls fly free. That's harder because you're just not you're not accustomed to it. You don't know what to do, and I think that a lot of times that dietary changes kind of model the same insecurity of well, wait, what what am I going to eat, and how do I prepare it? And that other thing is just so much easier, even if it's not quote unquote better for me. Yeah, I mean, it's education. It's all of it, right? To mm-hmm. that point, I mean, for people in our audience who may not have curly hair, it's, it's a special. It's a special uh, characteristic to have curly hair, and especially making a decision, you know, for a woman of color, you're going to wear straight, you're going to wear curly. Um, it, a lot of American black women, African-American women, um, put relaxers in, have relaxers put in their hair when they're very young. Um, and so they do not know how to manage curly hair because mm-hmm. they, it's been straight for so long. Well, what does that breed at 15 or 16 or 17, 18, 20, 30. Um, <laughs> your whole life. <laughs> you basically don't know how to manage your hair. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's going to be an education. And it's also, you got to find you know what products work and mm-hmm. kind of stylists. And, and it's an uphill battle. Oh, and by the way, I don't want to go to work looking busted while right. I'm transitioning. Or and dating or anything else. Anything else. Yeah. Right. And not to mention that how you wear your hair becomes a part of your identity. And mm-hmm. food, I absolutely believe, is a part of our identity too. Yep. So you want to be able to eat to bring it back to food. You want to be able to eat and go to the lunch function at work and not feel like people are going to be staring at you for what you're eating. Um, or not eating. Or not eating and feel comfortable that you do have options that are going to keep you satisfied so that you're not getting the french fries at 3 o'clock in the afternoon or a Snickers. Along with that thought of like <clears throat> feeling uncomfortable with like what you're eating and what you're not eating, I think there's also a component of when you truly have biological restrictions, you know, um, you don't always subscribe to the textbook definition of vegan or whatever so I know like when we all dine out together April will say you know I have a dairy allergy but butter is okay and I do feel like people are like well are you just trying to be difficult how come you can eat butter but you can't and it's like I'm not going to explain that to you because you know it's none of your business and whatever but I do feel like you know if I say I don't eat dairy and then somebody sees me having something that they feel like I shouldn't have then there is this whole well, are you really? Because, I mean, what is all that about? And As if anyone would ever go through the trouble to go into a restaurant to declare their <laughs> dietary allergies or intolerances simply for the purpose of irritating the wait staff. Like, yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, and for in that instance, like, butter is really an allowance because sometimes they, I can tolerate butter. <laughs> um, but if you have olive oil, I'd rather have that. Yeah. So you have to make some concessions if you're dining with loved ones and in a place where you don't, you can't control the food or the food source or 
how things are prepared and you can ask, but you you just can't control it. So, yeah. but to your point, Lila, like, yeah, absolutely. You know, there's judgment though. It's judgment. Like, well, why? I mean, what's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> so much judgment. Yeah. So recently I've been thinking about taking the words should or supposed to out of my vocabulary, because I think that those are the things that tend to be impediments to making positive changes because we think we should be somewhere else or that life is supposed to be like this and it's not. And so then we start to question, well, what's wrong with me? And I think that the same thing holds true when it comes to whatever we're consuming nutritionally. You know, we get the sense that we should be able to eat whatever we want, but we can't. And so now, well, oh, that's just something else that's wrong with me. And that's hogwash. The other thing that I'm finding too, um, is that some of those like very same people who are like, you know, tootie about your... You mean from the facts of life? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was a, definitely no. a Generation X. Yeah, for oh, sorry, I'm sorry. For the audience, she means facts of life. Attitudey. Facts of life. I'm like, the what? So. <laughs> um, sorry, Lisa. Some of those very same people, like, they'll say something snarky like oh I can never be you know plant-based or I can never give up dairy because it's so restrictive and then I say well I actually have a genuine allergy and they'll say oh like what's your allergy they're like oh like your stomach hurts I'm like actually mine is completely different and when I start telling people what my symptoms are sometimes they'll stop and think they're like well I have that too like and I'm like ah look at that you want me to be eating wrong like you eating wrong (laughs) and feeling bad (laughs) I want to feel bad I want to feel great. Right. And you should want to feel great like me. Maybe right. you should stop <laughs> eating that stuff you can't have. And to that point, quickly, like I <clears throat> I noticed that when I changed my habits, when I really started to change habits and own that with confidence and not from an, uh, I, I, I didn't need to, I found that I had to be gentle about it to preserve other people's uh, feelings, right? Um, but when I really started to, confidently step and say no without explaining sometimes I would just say no sorry I can't have that um and then sometimes I would explain and I'd say well because my digestive system riots uh it you know I would give them a nice analogy that I won't share here and um they would say you know what that happens to me yeah so that body that you think is not talking to you it absolutely is you just don't know what you're listening for right because real talk uh, most people are uh, intolerant to dairy to a lot of things um and gluten is on the rise and you know so and kids i mean nut allergies like yeah. these things most people have uh an intolerance um to something and so to learn to listen to the body is another component but until you learn to tune into it sometimes it's just like well that's somebody else's problem yeah. thank goodness i don't have that um which but you do but you do yeah. So maybe I think for me, I was, as I was listening to you, the message is maybe we should stop being so judgmental of others, um, but also stop considering that whatever they're dealing with or their issue or whatever they're choosing to abstain from is somehow a judgment on us. Right. So just because you're not going to have it or because you have it and I don't, I don't think that I'm better than you. I just realize what I can and can't have and how that will feed or, or serve my purpose with my my one physical shell, right? And I want it to be at optimal performance. So I'm gonna do the best I can to take care of it. And you should you do can. the same. Right. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. modesty, really. 
recognizing your own limitations and everybody's limitations are different different agreed thank you for listening we'll see you in the next episode please connect with us on social media at thejealousvegan.com if you enjoyed what you heard today Please go to thejealousvegan.com and sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content in support of your plant-based journey. And remember, don't let perfection be the enemy of progress.